Now, we love our welcome time and we love our greeting time and just hanging out with each other. And speaking of that, I just want to say last night's baptism, just like all of our baptisms, was just tremendous. Just tremendous. Yeah. Twelve, twelve individuals were baptized last night and it was just an amazing time. I bet we had over 50 people at Emory and Brenda's house last night for that baptism and just a special special night just want to thank them for hosting and for all of you who were there to celebrate with those who were baptized and rejoice with them it was just a great evening just a couple other things don't forget today is the family uh, picnic uh, that Nathan and Mandy are are sort of hosting and heading up and uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that group gets started and off and running today Uh, A lot of young families in our church. In fact, uh, just to let you know, Crystal and I, even this past week, had a conversation about how we can help our young families more. And I know her and I get a lot of questions even about parenting and all of that. So we're even trying to do some things that might help parents out there and encourage them in their their parenting. And then I, I also wanted to remind everyone... That for those of you 55 and older, if you could just meet with me for just a couple of minutes right after the morning service, like right down front here in these first couple of rows, I would greatly appreciate that. If you can't stay, that's fine. But if if you can stay, I'd love to just have a few minutes with the 55 and over crowd this morning. Romans chapter 1. Beginning at verse 18 this morning. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Romans sets forth for us our Christian worldview. That's what the book of Romans is all about. And we have said since the beginning of this series a couple weeks ago that everyone has a worldview. Everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, you have a view of the world that that either has been taught to you, that you have picked up through the years, to help you make sense of life, of your life, of what you see going on around you in the world. Everyone has a worldview. And the book of Romans declares the Christian worldview. To see things from God's perspective and to see things from, from God as the center of the reality of this universe. And that's why I think Paul even starts out in this book by reminding us that are we surrendered to this God, first of all? Because we can be saved and not surrendered. We talked about that with the Israelites who wandered for almost 40 years because they had been delivered out of Egypt. They had been saved, but they had never really surrendered to God. And therefore, they had a really hard time making sense of life. They had a hard time finding solutions to life's problems because they were saved but not surrendered. And then last week, Paul says, listen, we've also got to live within the reality that is God. If if this universe was created by God and he's the creator and he is the greatest reality that we'll ever come in contact with, that we're going to have a really hard time making sense out of life and finding solutions to life's problems if we leave out the greatest reality that there is, which is God himself, or if we fail to live within that reality at all times. 
Because if we don't choose to live within the reality that is God, what we will end up doing is this. We will create our own reality that really isn't reality. We will begin to live in an imaginary, fantasy, make-believe world, or we will start to just live in a world of denial. That even though this is what really is, we're going to start living as if that's not really what really is. And therefore, we never really deal with what reality is. We never are healed or move past what reality really is. We never really find solutions to reality because we really don't ever want to really deal with it, you see. And so, again, we just sort of spin and wander. And now, Paul is going to say this today. He's going to remind us that in our worldview, if, if we're not living in the reality that is God, we do so to our own peril. Because the God that created this universe created it in such a way that those of us who live within his universe that he created, their automatic consequences, if you will, built in by God to this universe to those who choose to not live in his reality. And, and whether we like it or not, we are going to suffer consequences uh, when we choose not to bring God into the very center of our lives. If we live as if God doesn't exist, if we choose to disregard God and, and, and not pay attention to Him and not make Him the focal point of our lives, God basically says, fine, that's your choice. Because as part of our worldview, we have to come to the conclusion that God gives man a choice about this. But God is simply saying, but if you choose to live as if I don't exist, if you choose to not make me the central part of your life, you're just automatically going to suffer for that. that that's just the way that I have built my universe that I created with you all in it. Now, one thing I think that this passage, like all passages of Scripture, is going to do to many of us today, is it's going to challenge us, even on our present worldview of how we look at things. But it's also going to comfort us and encourage us at times. It's going to stretch us. Because I think that many Christians really have not come to grasp what Paul's about ready to say here today in this passage of Scripture. Let's begin with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Let's first go back and talk about the wrath of God. I talked about this Tuesday night in our study of Revelation. God's wrath can simply be defined as his settled opposition to and displeasure with sin and evil. And it's a settled thing because God, as we've just sung about and the Bible teaches, is a holy, righteous God. And because he is God, he understands more than anyone how destructive sin and evil is. So there is this personal passion, this righteous passion of God to see things 
as right. Because in God's universe, there obviously is right and there is wrong. You see, there are absolutes in the universe that God created. And in his reality, he is not a passive God that just sits back and lets evil and sin just do whatever it wants without some kind of consequence. Paul and others teach us very clearly that the wrath of God is continually being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Not just some. Because God has built in to this universe automatic consequences for those who refuse to live God's way. See, no one gets away with anything, even when we as Christians think they do. This is a view we've got to change because we keep looking at things from even an external appearance perspective. Therefore, when say someone who, and I'm just going to say because a, a lot of people do this, they'll look at someone who's famous that they know, well known by everyone, Someone who has no regard for God at all, which by the way, that's what the word ungodly means. It means one who, again, has little regard for God, has no time for God, pays no attention to God, lives as if God doesn't exist. And so we'll look at people like this in our society, even as Christians, and we'll see external things like... Because they're well-known and famous, they're probably well-off as far as material, financial things, whatever. And on the outside, to even us as Christians, it's like, wow, God, this just isn't right. Because I'm having a hard time making sense of things. Because it seems as if these people who totally live as if you don't exist, somehow are getting ahead and not suffering anything because... Uh, here I am, I'm trying to live for you and I'm trying to do what's right and it seems like I'm always struggling. God would say, well, you just have to adjust your worldview to what the truth is. Because the truth is, those people are paying consequences. You're just simply too shallow to look beyond the surface of things, to look beyond the externals, to look beyond the appearance of things. They may be dying inside. In fact, they are, according to the word of God. They are spiritually withering and dying on the inside. And they can appear to everyone outside like, everything's okay, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I've got everything I need. And they could be absolutely discontent, unfulfilled, unsatisfied on the inside. And what's going on inside of them is worse than anything that you and I could ever experience. This is what Paul's saying. This is why we have to read things through the word of God and develop our worldview based upon the truth of God and upon our faith rather than walking by sight and trying to make sense of things strictly by externals and by appearance. Because Paul says the wrath of God, God's settled opposition to and displeasure with sin and evil is continually being revealed from heaven. 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And by the way, Paul here linking ungodliness with unrighteousness is simply saying that those who have little time for God, those who don't pay attention to God, uh, those who live as if God doesn't exist, here's what it leads to. It leads to not doing what's right. Not living the right way, but choosing to live wrong according to God and his revealed reality. Now, here's the next thing. This is going to shake some people here today and some people who eventually listen to this on podcast. Here's what Paul goes on to say. Here's why God is justified as a just and holy and righteous God in continually dispensing his consequences that he's built in on people who disregard him. Here's why, verse 19. Because what can be known about God is plain to them. It is clear. It is conspicuous. It cannot be missed. In other words, Paul is setting forth something very important that we need to adopt as Christians into our worldview. And that is this, that man does not start out with an ignorance of God. Man actually starts out with a knowledge of God. That is so important because can I tell you as a pastor, one of the questions I have been most often asked over the years by other Christians, well, pastor, I just having a hard time here with people, you know, maybe ending up in hell for all of eternity if they've never heard about God. And they'll always use the obscure example of somebody who lives and, you know, used to be. Nothing's deep and dark anymore in our world. But they would use some extreme example of somebody who was living in deepest, darkest Africa or some jungle somewhere. And again, they're looking at things through an external appearance only. They're not basing that worldview on what Scripture says. And God is saying, no, no, you don't understand. Every human being that I ever created, I have placed a knowledge of me within them because I created them. Every human being's been made in my image. And there is a self-revelation of God that he places within every human being. No one is without knowledge of God. Now, not knowledge of God to the extent or as comprehensive as what the word of God will give us. But God says every human being knows down deep in their heart that there is a God, that I exist, that I created them, and that I'm communicating with them on a level that is only a level that can be, in a sense, seen between me and them. As God, it it is something that only God does and only he could do between himself and every human being on a personal level. Now think about that. That also should give every one of us as Christians comfort and encouragement. Why? Because many times, again, in our faulty worldview, we pray to God that God would somehow save our unsaved family members and friends and people we know. And it's almost like we think somehow that we've got to like convince God or, or make God, you know, love them and care about their soul as much as we do. And God is saying, oh, you don't understand. First of all, as God, 
I love them more than you ever could because I created them. You didn't. And you've got to accept by faith that I am reaching them and I'm reaching out to them. And I'm communicating with them on a level that you'll never be able to see. And they might not even ever admit. But I'm communicating with them. Because I have placed my knowledge within them. And I'm working on them. And I'm trying to bring them to me. And you and I never have to doubt as a Christian that. That God way more wants a relationship with people than most people want a relationship with God. And most people aren't running after God like God in a sense is extending himself and reaching out to us. It's always that way. And God is simply reminding us here, folks, here's what you can be comforted by. When you're praying to God for unsafe family and members and friends, you never have to worry about the fact that God, on a level that you and I, again, can't see with our eyes, is trying to reach them. Continually trying to reach them. And that if they are not responding, it's not because God is not trying to do something. See, that's again where we have to adopt a worldview based on scripture. Because many Christians even throughout the years will say, you know, I get so frustrated that I'm praying to God for him to save my family members and friends. And as I see it, I don't see that he's doing anything. That's because we're making judgments based on what we could see, what we can hear. And we're forgetting the most important avenue of communication between God and people. And that's the avenue that you and I can't see. That's just between God and us. And if we're Christians, we know that that avenue exists. Because even after we become Christians, God still uses that avenue of communication with us. Which is why Paul says it's so important that as Christians, we like others choose not to notice, verse 18, suppress the truth. And that word truth means God's self-revelation within. See, Paul says here's the problem. The problem is not that God is not making himself clear, conspicuous to people, to human beings, to even Christians. Paul says that's not the problem. The problem is that we as human beings have almost a built-in, innate desire to plug our ears And to suppress the voice of God in our lives. The word suppress is a really interesting word. It literally means to hold down. I like to use the word here, smother. Paul's saying, do you realize that most of us as human beings, instead of truly listening to God and responding to him when he is trying to talk to us, that a lot of times what we do is we smother God. We hold him down. We're like the little child that, you know, the parents might start to talk or whatever. And they're like, I don't want to hear. Don't want to hear it. No, don't want to hear. That's why many Christians even won't want to consistently come to a church like this where they, you know, have to be confronted with the voice of God or his word consistently. Because they really, they, they don't want to hear it. That's why even many Christians 
stay so busy and are always constantly moving and never sit still long enough to be able to really tune into the voice of God because even whether it's conscious or it's unconscious, the more they can keep running and the busier they can be and the more they can go from this thing to that thing, it doesn't give them any quiet time between them and God to just truly take in what he's trying to tell them. They just stay so busy that there's never that time. And that's why God says, be still and know that I am God. Stop for a moment. Cease. And let me speak to you. You're so busy running around and doing this thing from that to that that you can't even hear me. And can I say this? Sometimes when we do, the only time that we do sort of stop for many Christians even, is at night when we're ready to go to bed. And that's why though God won't abuse it, many times, if God can't get a hold of our attention at any other time, sometimes he'll keep us up for a little bit at night. Now again, he's not going to do it a lot because he understands physically after a time if we're not getting our rest... But that's why sometimes the sweetest times with God, if it's the only time, is sometimes in the middle of the night. But can I say this? We shut off and suppress and smother the voice of God in our lives if we're Christians popping all these sleeping pills to the point where we just zonk out at night even and we're not going to hear anything during the night, including God's voice. Because we never, ever get to a place where we're not somehow, again, consciously or unconsciously, not trying to hold down or suppress or smother God's self-revelation within. See, God is always wanting to speak to us. And that's why sometimes Sundays and Tuesdays are so key in Christians' lives because sometimes even for us, it's the only time during the week that we sort of give God the undivided attention that he should deserve all the time of our lives to finally say, okay, God, here I am, speak. And trust me, when we allow God that, oh, he'll speak to us. And he won't stutter. He'll be very clear, but then we have the choice. We can either go, okay, God, I've heard you, but I'm still going to do my thing. Or we can say, okay, God, I hear you. I know what I need to do or what not to do. But Paul says it's never a question of God's not reaching out to people, not speaking to them, not trying to communicate, not trying to reveal himself. It's that man has this habit of suppression and not allowing God that avenue to truly be able to communicate. Notice, he says, what can be known about God is plain to them. Again, the word plain means conspicuous, clear, cannot be missed. Why? Because God has made it plain to them. God has placed his knowledge inside of us. That's what the Bible teaches. See, that should be our worldview. That should be our worldview. And if we have adopted that worldview, then we will never ask the question, what about the person who never heard? Oh, everybody's heard about God. 
Everybody. There's not a human being who's ever been born that when they stand before God, they won't be able to say, God, I had no idea about you. I never knew you existed. I never knew that you created. I never knew that. God's going to say, oh, yes, you did. You just suppressed that truth. You held it down. You covered it. You smothered it. You pretend like you didn't hear it. But it was there all the time. And then he goes on to say, not only does God reveal himself in us, but then God surrounds us with revelation of himself. When Paul goes on to say, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, verse 20, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, continually on display. Paul's saying, don't you and I get it? That when God created his universe and put us in it, that every day God, in a sense, is screaming to every human being, I'm here, I exist. And if you just study my creation, you will learn of me. You will get to know me even more. If you would just take the time to just look at the sun and the moon and the stars and the animals and everything that I created. And if you just paid attention to it more, you'd understand me more. Because my creation is there every day. And no human being can ever say, well, I didn't have the witness of God in my life. God's going to say, oh, you had more than one witness. See, what Paul's saying here is anybody who dies and rejects God and goes out into eternity without God, it's not because God did not try to reach them. It's not because God had no desire to save them. They are where they are for eternity because they chose to be there because they climbed over a mountain of revelation to get there. It's not like, well, they just didn't have a chance. Paul's saying, again, our worldview should be one. It's like, oh, they had more than enough opportunity. They had creation staring at them every day, screaming at them. I exist. I'm the creator. I'm God. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. Notice Paul says three things. First of all, his invisible attributes, things that we could never see. If we paid attention to creation, we could understand God's attributes. Then he says his eternal power, his always and forever ability is seen every day in his creation. And then Paul says his divine nature, his character, if you will, is also seen. Our problem is we rush through our lives and we really don't pay attention to God's creation and so we really don't see what Paul's saying is even before we get to the Bible, that there is so much about our God that we could learn if we just stopped long enough and paid attention to it because it's continually on display. That's why the writer of Proverbs tells us, go to the ant. Look at the little ant. Think about what that little ant and the fact that God created that ant and what that ant can do and all of that. He says, doesn't that tell you something about God? So we've got the revelation of God in us, in every human being. 
And then there's the revelation of God around us all the time, every day we live. It's not that God isn't there. It's that man has suppressed it. We choose to ignore it. In fact, we've even gotten so smart, we say, God didn't bring this all about. It it happened by some big bang. Which is always very interesting, because where did the big bang come from? There's still got to be an origin of everything. And then he says, since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood. They are able to be continually apprehended through what has been made. God's masterpiece, God's workmanship in creation. Paul is saying, every day we could continually apprehend something about God, even if we just paid attention to creation. Again, we haven't even gotten to the Bible yet. Paul's not even going to go there yet in the book of Romans. He'll get there later. Because Paul's point is this. He wants to bring us to the end of verse 20. So people are without excuse. Literally, they have no defense. There will never be one human being who can stand before God and say, God, I just didn't have a chance to know you. This just isn't fair. God's going to go, oh my goodness. No, no. It's not that you didn't have clear, conspicuous, cannot be missed revelation in your life. Because I, day after day, tried to communicate with you on a level that you just kept shutting down. You would not listen to my voice. Not that you couldn't listen to my voice or hear me. And then you had creation every day around you saying to you, I'm God. I did this. And what does this teach you about me? And he said, you chose to live your life as if I didn't exist. See, people are without excuse before God. We, even as Christians, we have got to bring this truth into our worldview, which will stop us from somehow thinking that when people again go out into eternity without God, that somehow it just wasn't fair, God, because they didn't have a chance. Paul would say that's that is not right based on the word of God. The word of God teaches us our worldview needs to be totally different than that. In fact, what Paul is saying is, like I said earlier, it's not that God has not revealed himself. It's that people will climb over all this revelation of God and still end up there. We're without excuse. Now, again, the application I think we can make in all this for us today is even as Christians, we can suppress the truth of God in our lives. We can go around going, God, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Somehow smothering it, holding it down rather than just letting God speak to us. We need to slow down, have quiet time before God, and truly listen to Him. And then as Christians... We need to remember that when we live our lives every day here on earth, 
that if we just took time and stopped rushing here and rushing there, that just even in driving to work or driving around the valley or whatever, just looking at his creation, keeping our eyes on the road, but just looking at creation and, and all that God created and say, God, help me learn from you, from what you created. We could learn so much about God if we just took the time to do it. Our problem is even as Christians, we become so much about us and everything's about us that we are losing the greatest reality that there is in the universe. And that is God and making it about him rather than about us. Then verse 21, although they knew God. So again, a personal experiential knowledge of God. In other words, God is saying, every human being knows me. Now again, not knowing me like a a, a person who studied the Bible for 30 years knows me, but knows me enough to be without excuse and have no defense. He says, even though they know me, here's what they choose to do. They do not glorify him as God. In the Greek language, it means they choose not to honor him as God. In other words, they know he's God. They know he exists. They know he's the creator. They know that he created them, but they choose not to honor him as God. Obviously, that also means that if we truly believe in the God of the Bible, then that means he should be preeminent. That he should occupy first place in our lives. And when we allow other people or other things to have a greater position in our lives than God, then we're choosing not to honor him as God, you see. We're not giving him the proper value and worth in our lives that as God, he deserves. Then he says... Not only do they choose not to glorify him as God, they're not thankful. They don't express the gratitude and appreciation to God that they should. And boy, talk about convicting. You know, even as Christians, how often do we really stop and thank God and express our gratitude and gratefulness for who he is and what he does for us every day and what he's done for us and all that. See, Paul's saying we can know God even on a personal level, but it's still up to us to choose to glorify him as God and to express thanks to him as we should. And then he says, but here's what happens when people, again, don't do that. He says we can become futile in our thoughts. That simply means we begin to focus on things of less worth and less value than God. We begin to live for what's less than God. That's what it means to live in futility. Wow. You think about the world we live in today. Because people choose not to live in the reality, the greatest reality in the universe, which is God. What will they end up doing? They will begin to live their lives and spend all their energy and effort on things of less value and less worth than God. And that 
can I say, attitude has crept into the church? Where Christians, when it comes to choices of priorities and what's really important in their lives, that many of them choose things of lesser worth and lesser value than what is really important. He says, their senseless hearts, verse 21, were darkened. He's saying, guess what? They're going to have an impossible time making sense of things. Just what we talked about from the very beginning. Because the only way I can truly make sense of life and find solutions to life's problems is when I surrender to God, I live in His reality, and I allow Him to speak to me and not suppress His truth in my life. And then I make the choice to, as I know Him, to glorify Him as God and to express thanks to Him. When I live that way, life is going to make a whole lot more sense. And I'm going to start as a Christian being able to find solutions to problems that I never had before. Because he says, when we choose not to live that way, again, God has built that consequence into his universe. People will have an impossible time making sense of things. They'll be confused. They will lack clarity. They will, be, they will live in darkness. They will live in a cloud all the time rather than seeing any kind of light about things. And it's automatic, folks, because Paul's already said, the wrath of God is revealed continually from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Then he says, in verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, and this is a forceful thing, they declare forcefully, hey, we know what we're doing, and we know what's best, Paul says they have become fools. Now, a fool doesn't mean someone who's not intelligent. A fool, biblically, is someone who starts spiraling downward. Someone who is diminished in their capacity from the way God created. That's a sad thing. And yet, if we're honest... And does it really take a lot of convincing for us to realize that as we look around in our world today and we see people where they are, that many people today are in this downward death spiral in their lives. It ends nowhere except self-destruction. They have no contentment in their lives. They have no fulfillment in their lives. They have no true satisfaction in their lives because they've taken the greatest reality of the universe, God himself, and they've said, nah, I want to live for this. And Paul says when any human being does that, when any Christian does that, there are grave consequences to those choices. And Paul goes on to say, here's what men and women do. Verse 23, they literally exchange they substitute, they replace the glory of the immortal God for images, for representations resembling people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Think about it. Paul says, here's what people do. They take the great glory of God, his, his undiminished 
eternal magnificence. And instead of living and basking in God and in a relationship with Him that is vibrant and growing and in fellowship with Him and in letting Him guide them and speak to them and all of that goodness and greatness, they live for something so much less. They literally say, now, instead of living with God every day, I'm going to live for this. Or I'm going to make my life about this. And Paul says, how sad. They literally replace God with something that I don't care what it is. It's going to be way less than God. Way less than God. Because here's the truth that Paul is teaching us here in verse 23. When we turn away from God, we will always turn to something else. Don't forget that, Christian. That is a truth of Scripture. That's what we said in the book of Revelation in our study. Man was created by God to be a worshiper. And if we are not choosing to worship God, then we will automatically choose to worship something or someone else. There's no such thing as not worshiping. And that's basically what Paul's saying here. If we're not turning to God, then we will live or turn to something else. We either worship God or we replace him with a God of our own making. We either try to create God in the image we want God to be. Or we choose, like Paul's saying here, to just start worshiping things that aren't even God. Like people. When you think about today in our world, how many people in the world worship other people? Rather than worshiping God. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God to put people up on a pedestal. People! And we see it all over the place. Whether it's with religious figures, sports figures, you know, Hollywood stars, whatever it is. People are worshiping people rather than worshiping God. Paul says, folks, you want to make sense of life? You want to find solutions to the problems of life? Then live in the reality that is God. Don't settle for anything or anyone less than God. You'll never find fulfillment. You'll never find satisfaction. You'll never be content. You'll always be constantly running from this thing to that thing. And don't get caught up in this world that is seeking one thrill after another to the point where they become numb and where we run from one thing to another and we never slow down to truly let God impact our lives. Whether it's conscious or unconscious. Paul's saying let's all be careful that we are not in some way suppressing the truth of God. Smothering Him. Holding Him down. But truly letting Him get in and speak to us. And move within us. For those of you. 
that have been praying or are praying for unsafe family members and friends. I hope this passage has been the comfort and encouragement that it should be for you. Because what this is going to tell you is, you keep on praying, but don't ever buy into the lie that somehow God isn't trying to reach them all the time. Or that somehow you've got to try to convince God to love them as much as you do. Because, oh my goodness, God loves them way more than we ever could. And God has actually placed his knowledge within them. And he is trying to reach them every day. He loves them that much. You hold on to that. And even though you and I might not be able to see with our eyes or hear with our ears what God is doing at that level, we are not to live by sight. We are to live by faith. And we are to take God at his word and trust that he's doing it. Even though we can't see it or hear it. Because we know if we're honest, as Paul has said, That even now, even at this moment, God is communicating with each one of us here this morning on a personal level. He's he's speaking to each one of us right now. Are we going to suppress it? Are we going to receive it? As we stand and sing our last song of the day, it's the song Hosanna. And the reason I chose this song is because the word Hosanna means let's praise the Lord. Let's choose to honor God as God and glorify him as God. Let's choose to express our thanks to him for who he is and for what he's done. And so I hope that we'll all choose to do that today. That that will be our choice that God gives us. To stand stand and sing, God... We love you, we praise you, we adore you, and we are saying, Hosanna, hallelujah, praise the Lord today. Let's live in that reality today, rather than living off the crumbs that Satan or the world offers us anymore. Let's stand as we sing, and let's close in prayer. Father God, may we, Lord, as Christians... Allow your word to shape our worldview of how we look at life, how we make sense of things, how we find solutions to life's problems. And God, once again, I pray today that we have heard you because clearly your scripture is telling us that you make yourself known. If week one of this series was about surrender and week two was about reality, then week three is about the word no. You make yourself known to each one of us. It's not that you're not reaching out to us. It's that we end up suppressing you reaching out to us. God, I pray that no one here this morning chooses to do that chooses to smother you and hold you down, but that we will allow you to fully speak into our lives and do what you want to do. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's sing Hosanna this morning.